I'm Martin Reeves, Chairman of the BCG Henderson Institute. Welcome to our Thinkers and Ideas podcast, where we examine important new ideas and books in business. And today I'm delighted to be joined by Kai-Fu Lee, who requires absolutely no introduction to anyone with the faintest interest in AI. He is Chairman of Sinovation Ventures, which is a Chinese venture capital firm. He's a best-selling author with his last book, AI Superpowers. And he's actually worked in big tech, in Google and Microsoft and Apple. So very familiar with all aspects of the field, I think. He's co-author of a new book with Chen Chufan, who unfortunately is not with us today, who is a well-known science fiction author. So he's just written this book, which is called AI 2041, 10 Visions for Our Future. So welcome, Kaifu. It'll be fun discussing your book. Yeah, thank you, Martin. Great to be here. So I must kick off by asking you about the very innovative format for your book, which is partly nonfiction and partly fiction. And I'm a little jealous, actually. It's such a creative format. But why did you choose specifically this format for this topic? AI is such an important topic, and people really need to know about it. And yet a technical description alone can be quite dry. So I thought of the idea of 10 stories written by a good storyteller, no, not me, but Chufan. And then uh, after each story, which is hopefully engaging, entertaining, and fun and provocative, then I would write the commentary, which describes the technology and implications to society and what we can do about it. So hopefully it makes it an easy read so that after 10 chapters, actually anybody can get to know AI through just reading stories. I think it's very effective. Just to give listeners a feel for the format, let me read out how I made sense of some of the chapters. It seems to me that each chapter is about a particular technology, but also about the human dilemmas that those technologies raise. And so the first one, the golden elephant, is about deep learning, insurance premiums, and class and caste, very controversial topic. The second chapter is God's Behind the Mask. It's about computer vision, deep fakes, and the ability to make tribal problems blow up or go away, depending on which way history goes. Another one is Contactless Love, chapter four. It's about avatars and about conducting human romance through avatars and the potential deception problems that that creates. So very interesting, engaging format. I wonder, what is the intended impact of the book? Are you trying to predict the future? Are you trying to get us to think about the future? Are you alerting us to the dangers of the future? How would you think about what you're trying to get done with the book? It is all of the above, but I think first and foremost, all great technologies are neutral and they ultimately bring a lot more good to society than bad. And AI is no exception. So I wanted to make sure people walk away with that because in recent years, there have been increasing negative feelings about AI. But also, I am cognizant of many AI challenges, problems, externalities, and I think many of them can be solved with a combination of regulations and possible commercial solutions and possible technology solutions. And I want to let people know that we should work on these solutions so that they don't become a problem. One of the clever things that Xu Fan, your co-author, does is In each chapter, he isn't definitive on whether we end up with dystopia or utopia. He's sort of ambivalent. He shows you a little bit of each. Would you say on the whole, given your knowledge of technology history, that we tend to get it wrong before we get it right, or we generally navigate to the net positive? No, we always get it wrong, and then we have always gotten it right. So I hope it happens again. 
you know, with electricity, we all know about the early fights between Tesla and Edison and electrocution, electric chair, and dangers of electrocution. But ultimately, everything worked out. With the internet and PC, when we started, it was、uh, viruses everywhere, and then eventually we worked it out and Y2K and so on. So I feel we'll、uh, do it again. But today we're hopefully at a trough, at a low. When we talk about AI shaping negative, extreme opinions, we talk about AI invading privacy, personal data, AI being biased. I think we're letting a lot of bugs、uh, show up, and now it's time for the technologists to go debug them, and for the regulators to figure out how to regulate them while letting technology grow. So I think we're kind of、uh, hopefully in the trough, going up at this phase. Did you have a, a favorite chapter? Was one chapter particularly fun to write for you? Oh、uh, well, I think the stories. Chou Fan had had a lot of fun. I had fun giving him ideas. I think clearly the most exciting story is quantum genocide. It has simultaneously, you know, quantum computers, the largest bank heist, as well as autonomous weapons being put in the wrong hands, terrorists like Una Bomber. So it's a very exciting story. Good action movie. That was fun to write and also comment on the speculation and and predictions of autonomous weapons and quantum computers and what we should do. That's probably the most not hundred percent certain chapter. All the other chapters, I feel, I have a very high degree of certainty that technology is feasible. In this case, a little bit of extrapolation was needed. So I actually found myself asking the question: Which part of what you're writing is prediction or near prediction? And which part is provocation? And it seemed to me that, by and large, the technology developments and the applications are positions as somewhat inevitable because you're actually talking about technologies which all exist today, and even many of the applications exist. For instance, the use of deep learning to calculate insurance premiums and insurance risk. But it seemed to me that the human impacts, whether we end up with net social negatives or positive, you know, that is. Completely non-inevitable. You even say at one point in the book, the technology is not inevitably good nor bad. Would you agree with that distinction between what is inevitable and and what is provocating? Yeah, I think you know, technologists like yourself、uh, can probably estimate that most technology projections are reasonably realistic. But at the same time, for society to embrace and adopt may take longer. And I've learned that as I you know went from research to products to investment. For example, you know the insurance AI technologies do exist, but will people get over the problem of using more personal data to get a better insurance premium? That's unknown. And also, to what extent will an insurance company become so powerful they'll have access to that data? That's unknown. And also, there are regulations on insurance companies and banks, and whether that's going to be permitted or not. That's unknown. So even when technologies are almost proven to work. It may take quite a bit more time before the society, the media, the governments are comfortable with them. I think perhaps in the medical example is even more extreme. When will we let a robot operate on us as a surgeon? When will we let an AI doctor prescribe medicine for us? And similarly, autonomous vehicle, right? The potential liability, accountability issues about who is responsible for fatality. And also the problems of moral issues about when should we let autonomous vehicles launch when they are ten percent better than people, thirty percent as good as people, and what if we tell you that autonomous vehicles will make mistakes that look 
really avoidable to people. What if we tell you that there will be legal issues and accountability issues, and there are a lot of unsolved questions about the society's embrace of AI that's not purely a technology problem? Well, let's start with the easy part: the technology, or at least easier, I think, than the human consequences. We don't have time to go through each technology. I did find actually each chapter gave me quite an in-depth understanding of each technology, but. In general, across all of the technologies, it seemed to me that you're making a couple of implicit predictions. One of them, and maybe let me list them and, and have you comment on them. One of them is that AI will eventually be ubiquitous. It's not in doubt that it will shape our lives. Secondly, you seem to say that the unexplainability of AI is somewhat inevitable. It's something we're going to have to live with because of the complexity of the patterns we're talking about. Another one is maybe more controversial. You seem to predict a net reduction in the need for human labor. You say there will be new jobs and jobs where humans fare better, but net will have less need for human labor. You talk about human roles where which will fare quite well against technology, where empathy, creativity, or dexterity are involved. You predict that most of the gains will go to the big data platforms, at least initially. And then probably the most controversial, you you say there will be a singularity. There will be a point at which AI exceeds a certain critical threshold of, of functionality, and it will begin to control our lives and create a state of plenitude. You actually position this as a as a good thing. So my question to you is: Did I get right your intent to position these as predictions, and are any of these in doubt? Yeah, those are roughly my predictions. I would probably say that full explainability by AI is is impossible because we can't comprehend it. But AI algorithms can be modified to reach a reasonable compromise so that it can explain why it does what it did in a way that people find acceptable and human laws find it acceptable. But we need to understand it isn't the full answer. And that's because AI is a giant mathematical equation that's too hard for humans to comprehend. But I do believe it can explain at the same level that humans do. The other is that I do believe that technologies are moving towards a state of plenitude. That is, the cost of labor will become marginally close to zero because AI and robots will do them. The cost of energy and materials will also drop. So that we can wipe out poverty and hunger, and have enough to provide for all, and potentially move to a different economy and lifestyle. And in the book, I intentionally don't project the end state because I think that will take longer than than twenty years. But I, I do think we can and should move towards that. There are a number of issues to solve related to what's the proper economics and what's the proper market future of money. How do people get motivated? We need to solve those problems in that environment. I don't think singularity is going to happen in 20 years. Singularity, as defined by Ray Kurzweil, is where exponential technologies leave humans behind as machines overtake us, become a superset of us. That I don't think will happen in 20 years. So actually, you touched there on a chapter I wish you'd have had in the book. Maybe this will be your next book, which is. In a sense, this assumption of scarcity—the fact that we ration useful things because they are scarce—is is the assumption which underpins economics. And society will be very different if we do reach this state of plenitude. So, I'd be very interested in your thoughts on that. So, let's come on to the human side of the equation, the more speculative part, and think about whether we end up with net pluses or net negatives. It seems to me that the stories set up a number of dilemmas, and they relate to 
human agency? You know, are we under the control of the machines or are we still in control? Truthfulness, you know, how do we know what's a fake and what isn't a fake? Equality and equity, do we all benefit or do some of us benefit? Safety, I mean, as you, your, your favorite chapter, your most fun chapter, the one about quantum warfare, there are some existential scenarios, especially around autonomous weapons, privacy, bias and fairness, and then human happiness. So what sort of factors will determine historically whether we end up in a good place or not such a good place, do you think? Yeah, those are, in fact, all major issues. And I do believe that AI will have increasing power to either manipulate us, not because AI has a mind of its own, but because it's programmed that way. It's already happening, and more of that will happen. And we need to not only find a way to manage that, but maybe we can take advantage of that and turn it into our favor. So what if the goal of the AI is not to get us to click more or to watch more videos or to buy more things, but to help us make us grow, make us become wealthier, make us become happier? These are things that are measurable. So it's a matter of coming up with the applications that have aligned interests with us. That is, when we reach our desired goal, they also make money then I think the virtuous cycle can, can potentially operate. And in terms of things that we, obviously there's a degree of unpredictability, but there are different paths for preemptive action. Do you see preemptive regulation as being the important thing? Do you see gradual regulation as being the important thing so that we don't throw out the baby with the bathwater? Do you see education, you know, more books like yours causing us to think about and own the phenomenon? What are some of the things that we can do to buy us in favor of positive futures, do you think? Right. I do think regulations are necessary, but I think it's probably better targeted towards the most egregious behavior, you know, like stealing data, selling data to others uh, would be a good place to start. That's what happened with you know, Cambridge Analytica, and that should be prevented. I think going into antitrust and breaking companies up is perhaps going not only a little too far, but also it doesn't quite solve the problem at the root. I think there are many other approaches that can be taken. I think technologists should pursue more research and see how we can have more complex AI that can simultaneously reach multiple goals, you know, help Facebook make money, but also don't make me turn into a bad guy or, you know, help make me satisfied, not in a immediate watch a video that I'm engaged in, but in a, you know, longer term manner measure how a month or a year later, I become more knowledgeable. And, you know, other metrics like wealth can be measured, happiness can be approximated. So I think that's an area of research that could be pushed. I also think there can be private sector mechanisms, you know, watchdogs that maybe report a fake news score for social media month by month so that there is an economic motivation for the social media companies to reform and improve and simultaneously make money, but also get its uh, fake news score better month over month. So I think all these things should be pursued simultaneously. I want to pick on one factor in particular amongst the human consequences, because it's, it's perhaps not just the conclusion, but the interpretation of the conclusion. So your claim that there'll be less need for human labor, but then that this is a good thing, that this will liberate us from drudgery and allow us the opportunity to focus on more meaningful things. You know, some might say that it would also 
remove structure and, and purpose from our lives and, and create social crisis. Uh, tell us a little bit about your thinking that this liberation from routine activity is not a good thing. Yeah, I think we currently are maybe a little still carrying over from the Industrial Revolution, which basically taught more of us to believe working hard is a good thing. There will be reward if you work hard, provide for your family, you can buy a house and car, live the American dream, make your family grow up to have better state than you have. And that's, in fact, what a industrial society would want with most people doing routine jobs. But that is really not ultimately the optimal state. The state we want is where people can pursue their passion or pursue their expertise and contribute to society in not just economical terms, but also social terms. So I think in order to, to do that, we first we need to make sure enough wealth is generated that as AI replaces labor, we're making the entire economy wealthier with more resources. And on that premise, I think universal basic income, along with retraining, along with letting people to pursue their interests can lead to a different kind of an economic environment where there is not only tolerance, but support for some people who still want to work hard and achieve great things, but some other people who want to be with their families and live a harmonious, peaceful life. And also those people who want to pursue their passion of helping others bring happiness and warmth to the society and maybe pursue their hobby of making beautiful you know, gardens and environments that make people happier or homeschool their children and give up their career, but make sure their children have a, a wonderful future. I think these uh, very various types of lifestyles could be encouraged so that people are filling their 14 hours in a, in a day with uh, meaningful things that make individuals fulfilled, make society move forward. But it's not just a rat race, routine work, make money, get a raise and buy a better car and house. I'm hopeful that can happen. I think if we look at in history, there are societies hundreds and thousands years ago, which were closer to that. But I think the Industrial Revolution got us to all believe work is the most important part of our life and routine work is okay. And working hard is the most important character that we should seek. And I just don't think that's the right answer ultimately. So let's finally come on to, to companies. You're invited to speak a lot to big companies as well as tech companies. Do you think that big companies are adequately prepared for the future in which AI becomes more ubiquitous? Or do you see some conspicuous gaps in their perceptions or preparations? Well, there are many different types of companies. Traditional companies, I think, are still grappling with what's AI and where should I use it? And I think they would be well served to have consultants or experts or hire a chief AI officer to look at the best places to, to use AI. And often it's not what the CEO thinks. It's not necessarily, you know, the conversational AI robot, that's the, where it's used, but rather the matter of data warehousing, followed by data analytics, followed by business intelligence, followed by the right places to apply AI. So I think some experts could be needed to put the companies in the right path on using AI. On the larger internet companies, they already use AI brilliantly. And, and I think that's why they are now worth trillions of dollars. I am concerned that the internet companies are really not explaining all the issues that AI will cause, that the externalities with users, 
job displacements, etc. Actually, I think the best behaving internet company is Amazon. While there are other practices, people you know question about Amazon. One thing they did really well is on the job displacement issue. They offer actually forty-eight thousand dollars for four years of retraining for any of their employees. And that presumably includes the cashiers and the warehouse pickers who would be out of a job in a few years as AI automation takes over. The company is paying for them to become a、uh, aeronautic repair or a, a nurse or a truck driver. Those are some of their training classes, and I think that's very magnanimous of the company to feel that it has a responsibility to help all the employees retrain. Even if the job isn't going to、uh, be within Amazon anymore, do you think that every company needs to master AI? Some people have said that every business becomes a data business. Do you believe that every company to remain competitive needs to be an AI company? And do you think that is it possible for the legacy companies to change their spots? Is it possible that every company can become an AI-based company? I think it's the same question asked twenty years ago: Does every company need to understand and master internet? So in short, the answer is yes, but the urgency and the importance differs from industry to industry. I think you know, for example, in banking, it's incredibly important for the banking, finance, investment, insurance companies to understand AI right now. Otherwise, they could be left behind. There are other traditional companies for which it may depend on case by case. You know, for manufacturing companies, for Real estate companies. It isn't necessarily urgent this year, but I think as we've seen from the internet, if you were a media company 20 years ago or a、um, stock brokerage company 20 years ago that didn't embrace the internet, you're out of business now. If you're in some other areas, you could probably wait five or ten years. But I think in the next ten years, I think every company does have to not just master but embrace and apply AI to the right places and in the right order. In the companies, otherwise there will be someone, perhaps a competitor, perhaps a disruptor, that will come in and want to eat your lunch. If you look in retrospect at the legacy companies pre-e-commerce, pre-internet that ended up doing well, it seems to me the implicit playbook is something like engage early, preemptively self-disrupt, hire new talent, take risks, don't compare yourself against benchmarks in your own industry, but the best in the mind of your consumers, and so on. Is it pretty much the same playbook for AI, or is there some subtle difference? Do you think? I think it's quite similar. Another, I think you made a great、uh, list. I couldn't do a better list than that. One other thing I would say is apply it in the right places, right? Just like in early stages, if you try to push internet in places where it didn't matter, wasn't a competitive issue, didn't give you enough edge, then that would be time wasted. The same is true with AI. Apply it in the right places. So that's all we have time for. I'm afraid it's a really fascinating book, and I can't often say this about business books, but it was actually a great fun read. This mixture of fictional and non-fictional aspects of AI made it a really entertaining read. So we've been talking to Kai Fu Lee about his new book, AI 2041: Ten Visions for Our Future, which is out soon, September 2021, from Penguin Random House. Thanks again, Kai Fu. Thank you, Martin. Great to be here.